الجزيرة بودكاست. Hi everyone, Malika here. Today I'm handing over the mic to our guest host, Natasha Del Toro. Enjoy. Chile is one of Latin America's safest countries. But in recent months, that's changed. Fears about violent crime are going up in Chile. It's not just murder, but also torture, signs of chopping people in pieces or burying victims alive. And right now, it's against the police. 33-year-old Daniel Palma was shot in the head at point-blank range. He was a third officer killed in the past month. And people are worried. Three policemen murdered. That's something that can't happen in Chile. It's never happened before, and it can't continue. Now, Chile is budgeting an extra 1.5 billion U.S. dollars for the police. And it's also passed new laws that the government says will give the police more power to protect themselves. But one law is creating concerns among human rights activists. They call it the quick trigger law. Police in Chile are now allowed to use lethal force if they think they're in danger. So will it keep Chileans safe? I'm Natasha Del Toro, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm talking to Cheris McGowan, who's been living in the capital, Santiago, for 10 years. She's been reporting on policing, including on the recent shooting of a policeman who was shot just outside his precinct. So, Cheris, you cover Chile for Al Jazeera and you're based there, but now there's some unrest. Can you tell us what's going on in the streets now? There is a sense of fear in Santiago and in Chile because of an uptick in violent crime. We're seeing that that has people afraid. We're seeing that police are getting killed by criminals that aren't afraid to shoot police officers dead. This is quite unprecedented in the history of Chile. So in that sense, there has been an uptick in armed criminal gangs that we can see. So what I am seeing here is a lot of fear about violent crime because we are seeing criminals with live weapons. And I think that was something that wasn't seen in Chile before. Typically, guns on the streets, it's not been a very common occurrence in Chile. But now we're seeing an increase of that. And there was an outcry because of a set of laws that were passed. The laws were also accompanied by a $1.5 billion increase in security spending, which is a pretty large increase. But there's one law specifically that got people out on the streets that's been dubbed the quick trigger law. So this law, it was proposed over a year ago by the right-wing political sector, and it kind of stagnated for a while. What happened is that in March, there was a spate of police killings. So this is police on active duty getting shot at by criminals, so armed gangs. And this is something that wasn't really something that we saw so much in the past. And to have that kind of concentration of killings all within three weeks really sent shockwaves into the political sector and the social sector. So this is what resulted in these laws being catalyzed through Congress and Senate, eventually resulting in their speedy passing. So Cheris, what does it allow the police to do? 
So that quick trigger law, it's the most controversial one out of all of them. What it does is that it gives police greater leeway to use live weapons in defense circumstances. It just means legally speaking, they have more reason that they can use live weapons without kind of legal consequences. So, you know, they can fire a live weapon and not be held to the same standard as previously in terms of why did you fire this live weapon? So their self-defense margins are amplified. I see. So in, in other words, if the police fired at somebody, then it's going to be assumed that the police officer is innocent, that the police's life was in danger, and that's why they used force. Is that correct? That's exactly the case. So if you wanted to sue police for excessive violence, then your argument immediately is weaker than the police's argument under this law, because this law gives more, uh, it supports the police more in those kind of arguments, because it allows them to use live weapons, you know, I'm doing the, the quotation marks here, but without reason. That was like one of the words thrown around, like without existing reasons. Now, as you said, this law was drafted after and in response to the murder of three police officers in the past month. And you also mentioned that the country, that there there is a fear of this uptick in violence. And this st- statistic that says homicides have increased by 32% last year. What is behind this increase in the violence? I think it has to do with a lack of support for, you know, in the face of inflation, we do have a greater inflation. There is like more people, I think, that are being pushed to the edge that always results into theft or, 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 you know, there's always something social behind an uptick in violence. And also just to quote the lawyer who I interviewed, Christian Cruz, he's a human rights lawyer. You know, he says that we're seeing uh, imported techniques. Imported techniques means like from foreign gangs. So something that you maybe more see in like, you know, in the north of South America or even Central America, that's where gangs operate more, more violently, more with armed weapons. You know, in Chile, again, we, we weren't seeing that. But now we're seeing that there is more organized crime. Statistics show the vast majority of crimes are committed by Chileans, but that undocumented foreigners with criminal records account for a higher percentage of the murders. Also, what we have to bear in mind is that those uh, statistics that rocketing from 32% from 2022 to the year before is also because of the pandemic lockdowns. So in Chile had really strict pandemic lockdowns in 2020, and in 2021. Santiago's once bustling streets are now almost deserted after the Chilean government ordered the capital city into lockdown. We couldn't even go to the supermarket without asking police permission. There was military patrols. So clearly that had an effect on organized crime because we were all really in lockdown. So that also accounts for the rise in violent rates. There's also a debate in Chile about who accounts for the increase. This is all happening at the same time as rising numbers of people are migrating, particularly from Venezuela and Colombia. That's polarized Chileans about whether the rising crime is correlation or causation. I'm very wary about a narrative that, you know, looks to immigrants as to an increase in violence. I think it's multifactor. Uh, The import of weapons is coming from outside for sure. 
I mean, we can say in in the circumstance of the last police who was killed, that was by someone who was foreign. Yes, those are two people that were foreign who were implicated in that crime. And obviously, national media always likes to make a point when it's someone who's not from Chile. Tráfico de drogas, trata de personas, extorsión, secuestro y sicariato. Y nos empezamos a dar cuenta que eran prácticamente todos venezolanos. But they very rarely say when there's an active shooting and someone is from Chile. So, you know, I'm aware of the narrative around it, but I'm also cautious about it. And these narratives that you're seeing in the media, has that increased animosity towards immigrants in the country as well? A hundred percent. So I interviewed a Venezuelan immigrant, and that was Zuli. Mi nombre es Peraza. My name is Zuli Peraza. She arrived to Chile a year and a half ago. She said that she moved to Chile because she was trying to get away from the violence of Venezuela. And she didn't want to see it here. So she moved to Chile saying that this is a, a safer country, but she's seeing a, a police getting shot and killed outside her doorstep. She lived in the sector and she was outside the police precinct. And, you know, I went to speak to her because she was there with her husband and her teenage daughter. I told her, I'm a journalist, I, I, I want to write about why you're here. And, you know, they looked kind of sorrowful. They said, I don't think you want to be speaking to us. Hmm. And I said, why? And they said, because we're the same nationality as the person who killed this police officer. All these things are said about Venezuelans, but the majority of us are not like that. The majority of us are good people, hard workers, searching for a better future. She said, you know, we, we see this happening. We were shocked and impacted by it. You know, this is our neighborhood. We respect this country and the police. They protect the community, the town, the country. And she said, you know, we, we, we pray that it's not someone from our nationality who's behind this because it just closes the door for all of us. After the break, why Chileans are an edge about the doors the police laws might open. The Inside Story podcast dissects, analyzes, and helps define major global stories. We get into the details with experts who explain how policies affect people. The Inside Story podcast by Al Jazeera. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm talking to Cheris McGowan, who's been covering Chile's new laws that the government says will protect the police as they fight crime. So Cheris, what, what exactly does the government hope that these laws will do for the police? You know, the police are in need of greater tools. You know, if we are saying that there's an uptick in violent crime, obviously we don't want police officers dying in the line of duty. You know, obviously any civil society needs a, a well-supported police force. But what we have to see is like how they're being supportive. So to increase a budget for security, they're increasing patrols in, in certain areas that have been affected by crime. I think that's ultimately a good thing. And I think that's ultimately something that will help a lot of people in Chile and will allow them to be, you know, a little bit calmer in their day to day. Here's Chilean President Gabriel Boric as he signs the law. No podemos dejar we cannot leave the police or citizens exposed to crime. We will take care of ourselves, and we will take care of those who take care of us. 
But some Chileans are concerned that safety for police is coming at the expense of safety for others. And their fears are stemming from events in the recent past. So in 2019, you had students that led protests, began initially because of a proposal to increase transportation fares. But those protests then grew as a fight against social inequality in Chile. Since then, human rights organizations have called for criminal investigations on the police for their response during the protests. According to Chilean prosecutors, they are investigating more than 800 allegations of abuse by police, including torture, rape and beatings. Now, you were there in 2019. What exactly happened and what did the police do? So... Chile's police have been accused of excessive force for a really long time, even before 2019. But what we've seen in 2019 was mass protests, which resulted in a police reaction that, you know, the magnitude of it wasn't seen at the time. In 2019, basically, it started with kids, secondary school kids, jumping over metro turnstiles uh, to protest arise in metro fares. A student demonstration in Chile turned violent when police came down on protesters who were demanding better funding for education. The police dealt with this by really using excessive force on these school children. So you're seeing like videos of kids getting like shot at bit by these rubber bullets and you know see their 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 legs kind of all bloody underneath their school uniforms. And then you see also like uh, instances of police firing tear gas canisters into uh, metros that are full of other people. That's when mass protests started, protesting not just about the rise in, in, in prices, but also in terms of how the police were reacting. And the police, instead of like stepping back, they upped the force. We saw thousands of people Uh, get injured. We saw dozens of deaths with uh, clashes of police force. Civilians were run over. Civilians were shot in the face, very close range with tear gas canisters. The police have fired tear gas, water cannons and even rubber bullets during clashes with protesters. The people hit by these rubber bullets now suffer from deep eye injuries, which could lead to permanent blindness. You know, this was something that happened because bright weapons should not be lethal. But we saw them being applied in a lethal way. I know there was a story of a woman named Fabiola Campiai. Could you tell me what what happened to Fabiola? So Fabiola Campiai, I think she was in her late 30s at the time. You know, she was not on the streets. She wasn't even near a site of protest. A police officer fired a tear gas canister in her face and it directly impacted her skull. So this led to her being totally blinded, lost her sense of taste, lost her sense of smell. She was fighting for her life for, for, for a good couple of years. And she started a political campaign about human rights. And she is now a senator. All my life I have used public services, and that's why I want to change and improve them. From the Senate, the health and education system, our terrible pensions and terrible salaries. Wow. So what is Fabiola Campiai's take on this new so-called trigger law? Yeah, so she has been one of the most vocal opponents of it. Obviously, she she does not trust the police because she has not seen a reform since the time she was shot. So what she has seen is justice applied. The person who shot her is now in jail, the police officer. He's in jail. But she said 
you know, if this law was applied when I was shot, maybe he wouldn't be in jail. With this project, I would not fully have had justice. So she is one of the most vocal opponents. But despite this, in the Senate, only five people voted against this law and 40 people voted for it. So she said, it's not enough for you to have someone that was shot in the face by a police officer here. So in her case, Fabiola is really trying to give a warning about what the consequences of this law could be. And since this law was pushed through, there was a 19-year-old that was shot during a police inspection. Could you tell me what happened in this particular case? So what happened is that there was a young 19-year-old guy who was called David Doro, who was driving in a port city called San Antonio. And he was driving without papers. And the police asked him to stop, but he drove on. And the police fired and killed him. Hmm. He did not have his papers, like, up to date, so probably he was scared. But that didn't mean that the police had to use an Uzi gun to fire at him. So, you know, it's just, it's just that you're seeing, like, you know, in a port city, in maybe a vulnerable area, the police jumping to conclusions, like, you know, he, he firing a, a, a live weapon, an Uzi gun, at a 19-year-old and killing him. Just because he was scared and freaked out. You know, people are still scared of the police, you know, and he, especially in certain neighborhoods where you've seen this excessive force. I think there's a lack of memory in what's happened recently with this law, and now you're, we're seeing this straight away. And so soon after the law was passed, you're saying this is why people are afraid that this so-called quick trigger law is going to lead to excessive force and to human rights abuses. That's fair. But what are alternative approaches that they're asking for? Well, what human rights organizations like Amnesty International do suggest is, is to do a proper police reform, something that was pledged by Gabriel Boric. So rather than these reactionary laws to like try and put a bandaid over it is to actually reform the whole institution, like from the ground up, like start fresh. It's a massive job, but it will pay off in the long run and it will result in fewer police deaths and civilian deaths. And you're saying that this quick trigger law, you don't feel like it's actually going to make people safer. It's not going to make Chile safer. Is that right? Yeah, it's exactly right. I think if you looked at the police killings, it was never because they couldn't use the weapons to defend themselves. It was because they were exposed. So I don't really think that this name, Retamel, this easy trigger law, will actually help prevent police killings under these circumstances. I hope that that security budget can provide them with the support that they need. That doesn't mean they have to fire a weapon in circumstances that might not be needed to fire a weapon. So that the firing a weapon is the last, last, last resort and not this kind of reaction that comes out of a fear that could result in the deaths of innocent people, just like what happened to David Duro. So Cheris, where do you feel like Chile is heading towards with these laws then? Does this signal a trend in a country that's always been relatively peaceful? I think it's peaceful depending on how you're looking at peaceful. Chile has a history of a brutal dictatorship that was 50 years ago and ended in 1990, those scars are wide open, and that was not peaceful. I think these type of laws kind of 
you know, brush it under the carpet, but we know that these never go away. So if you're giving police excessive force without reforming them still, based on behaviors that date back to a dictatorship, you know, this kind of law is, is not going to be a good thing when it comes to, you know, civil protections. Democratically speaking, like if we do see mass protests again, this could result in human rights violations again. So it's just repeating and repeating. Tackling violent crime is one of it, but you can't just look at that as an isolated thing. This is going to affect the high school students that want university reforms. This is going to affect indigenous populations that are looking to reclaim land. This is going to affect people in poor neighborhoods, people like David Duro, who is a 19-year-old who is afraid of the cops and he's driving away from them. So yeah, maybe, maybe this will address armed criminals, but that's a really small percent of the amount of people that are going to be impacted by this law. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Chloe K. Lee and Nagin Oliai, with Sonia Bagat, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, Haled Sultan, Amy Walters, and me, Natasha Del Toro, standing in for Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Our engagement producers are Adam Abugad and Munera Aldasari. Alexander Locke is our executive producer, and Nay Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Special thanks to Zuli Perasa. We'll be back on Wednesday.